Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome everyone to the show. Today we have a very successful guest who has been in business since 1994 and believe it or not, at an agency, Hope Tyson in 1994, where he helped create some of the big uh, websites of the time, JP Morgan, Chase, Lens Crafters, Minolta, T. Rowe, Price, IBM, ING Bank. So these are incredible. Uh, let's jump into the interview here with Larry Ludwig. Larry, how's it going? Doing good, Quinn. How about yourself? Very good. Very good. So I know there's a lot of people that work for agencies, others that own a lot of agencies, but, uh, Nobody that I know ever worked at an agency in 1990, 1994. How the heck did you get into that? Um, good question. I mean, I, prior to that, I was working, I was in college. I, I saw the web was just starting off. You know, before that, the internet was really, you had to be really a, a techie, a geek, if you will. And there was stuff like using that. This is before a precursor to the web. And I saw the first version of a web browser website. I'm like, this is definitely the future of the internet. And at the time, there was really no jobs when I graduated college in 93 and decided to, you know, initially I went off for a regular job and then about a year into, uh, outside of college, decided to apply for jobs for, you know, startups that maybe would be interested in doing web design, web development and found a company called Poppy Tyson and they're based out in New York City and in California. And they, they were really one of the leaders at the time developing websites. Some of the first, very first websites for uh, what's out there, you know, including the White House they did. I, I wasn't on that project, but they did the White House uh, initial version of the White House in 93, 94, I think it was. Wow. And so I saw that was just a huge opportunity. I, and I also knew with my background in computer science that the web was not only going to be just static HTML, but really dynamic web pages. So we, you know, I saw the opportunity of putting a database behind it and you know generating web pages on the fly. And that was some of the stuff we did initially as well at Poppy Tyson. So it was really interesting stuff. But it was an interesting experience. I mean, it really got me into marketing, you know, advertising and understanding just some of the foundations of what, you know, really applied even to this day for me. And this is incredible. Uh, it's, it's the stuff that I wanted to do back then. I mean, I started in 97. So, uh, you have a few years of vantage. Even still, it's still the really early stages. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> still time. Uh, so then in 1998, you, you went to work for, um, startup that was Commerce One. Commerce One. Is yeah, that's still the one that exists today? No, Commerce One folded in 2001, I want to say. So they went public. It was one of the big IPOs in the late 90s during the dot-com era. And I exited in late 99. So I left before, just before they went public. So uh, they went public soon after I left. And like a year and a half later, they were, at one point, they were the, one of the highest prices Stocks and evaluation was literally in the billions, and within a year and a half they folded. They went bankrupt. Ooh. Yeah, unfortunately, that's you know the, the tale of many in that during that era that they were. Mm. I, I left partly because I knew the the numbers just didn't make sense. They were they were valued at by venture capital uh, capitalists at like six seven billion dollars at the time. Yet I looked behind the scenes as far as the income we were generating. It was like literally thirty thousand dollars at the time. I'm like this this is not adding up. They just don't jive, and I didn't see how. They could ever recoup or be valued at that amount, how long it would take to get that valuation. So it just didn't make sense to me. And I'm like, I, you know, I'd rather do my own thing. And from there, I've left and did my own thing 
Uh, so I developed my own websites or work developing websites for other customers and hosting as well. Nice. And then uh, a few years later, in 2001, you founded the Empowering Media. Mm-hmm. That was a hosting hosting company, right? It was a hosting and web development. I did both. I mean, primarily in the end, it became just web hosting. And you know, I at the time didn't realize how horrible of an industry it is in the sense that it's just very, it's a commodity. I mean, I see you laughing. It's a commodity industry and it's, it's everyone and their brothers is doing it. In reality is not most people are actually hosting the stuff. They're reselling to a third party yeah. and they're just in general, you're not well respected for the time and effort. It really takes to secure, properly maintain and keep the server running 24 seven. And just, it became a commodity of your competing against this other company out here is offering, you know, extra gigs of this space or, or bandwidth or, email accounts or whatever, it's a numbers game. And it became, it becomes a commodity and it is a commodity to this day. So in 2009, after running it for about eight, nine years, just realized it was just not a, um, I want to do something different. On top of that, you know, with the, the clients I had both hosting and development, they just weren't, I think, appreciating the time and effort it took to do what we were doing. So I decided to create a website instead of for others, for my own, my own purposes and, and market and promote the, at its own in its own business. And that was where the site Investor Junkie was formed. And so it was out of that frustration, I decided to, you know, do it myself instead of doing it for, for others. That's amazing. You know that the uh, website Investor Junkie sounds a lot like an idea that I had, um, maybe, maybe after, after yours. So it, it would have been a copy, but, um, I, I never, I never pursued it, but I often thought about that. How good it would have, it would be if there was a website where you could go and share your ideas and get investors into ideas in your sites because I, I was, I mean, I was no professional at creating websites still back then with a WordPad or Dreamweaver a couple of years later. Yep. And, but I always thought that maybe there's somebody out there that one of these sites is going to take off. And there's somebody out there that wants to invest in it. They just don't know I exist. So is that what your idea was? Um, when I first created the site, it took me about, Almost two years before I really got into the groove. When I first created it, it was much more about, you know, I had my ducks. Part of the thing was I wanted to be not only to showcase the technologies of WordPress and how to scale a website for my hosting and development business. But I also, I wanted to be where I was at financially. I was, I, I looked at a lot of other blogs and other websites out there and it just didn't speak to me in terms of helping me financially. Like I had my ducks in a row. I was, I didn't have massive amounts of debt. I didn't have to, you know, it's not like I was just starting out and I always cared about investing at some level. You know, even before the internet, you know, in the early 90s, in fact, so I was in school college. So I had always a fascination with personal finance and investing. So I thought let's combine those two together, but I really made it more about talking of what investments were, not only just pure stock market or, you know, market itself, but also holistically, like including businesses as well. That was originally my intent to include every aspect of investing, both, you know, stock market to investing in businesses and real estate. And from the feedback I got from my audience, it was really People didn't have interest in those, those esoteric investments and wanted more of the mainstream. How do I invest my 401k? How do I do the basics? You know, I'm, I'm floundering and just dealing with what I have now. Forget about, you know, the more advanced topics like, you know, starting a business. They didn't want to hear that. So I, I decided to change the focus after about two years to be more about just the generic, not generic, but basic you know, points and also discuss more products and services out there instead of just giving my opinions of what I thought was going on in the stock market and whatnot. So it changes to be more of a review and comparison site about two years into it. And that's really where it started taking off as well. 
And then your your revenue from that site was all was 100% affiliate marketing. Um, yeah, I mean, there were some always some ad banners at point, but I decided at some point to take it off completely and just focus on affiliate revenue. Where maybe if I had ad banners, it was only on pages that had no monetization through affiliate. So I kind of mixed and matched. But at, at one point, uh, more close to the end before I sold it, I decided just to do all affiliate and remove any ad banners, just to make it much more clean, better user experience for the reader. Yeah. So in a couple of years ago, you ended up selling it. And is it okay to share with the public? How yeah. Yes. Uh, in 2018, I sold it for six million. It's a public knowledge, though. I'm not afraid oh. to you know disclose it now. But the yeah, it was it was interesting. So I you know literally started from I started December 2009, and then from almost a little less than 10 years, sold it you know uh, 2018, and you know just grew the traffic organically. It just was mostly search based. I mean, I did paid traffic as well, but most of it was from search and almost all of it was from affiliate. Nice. So even today, uh, I, I can think of a lot of people that imagine that working online and affiliate business or e-commerce, anything is not a real business. <laughs> I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, it's definitely an affiliate. Affiliate marketing is totally a real business. I mean, if anything, you should be, if you're doing any online business, you should be doing affiliate marketing at some level, is my opinion. Meaning you should complement and supplement your income through affiliate marketing because of, you can't do everything as a business owner or your business can't do everything, but you have an attractive audience. You have an engaged audience that's interested already in what you have to say. So by all means, you should supplement your course services with affiliate marketing. And that's kind of actually how with my hosting business, I kind of realized that opportunity where I was doing web hosting. But I also offered SSL certificates and domain registration, but I didn't do it them myself. I do it through affiliate channel and I made a decent amount of career current revenue from that and realized that was an opportunity. That's what kind of light bulb also went off to say, why don't I go down the path of affiliate marketing? And so I would say for any business owner, if you're not doing affiliate marketing, you're leaving money on the table, in my opinion. And there's two ways to do it, uh, to get into affiliate uh, marketing. I mean, as, a, as the brand owner and the, or as the publisher. Yep. Uh, is there one way that's better than the other one? Or should you, even if you're a brand owner, should you also get, you could do both. I mean, yeah. I mean, with Investor Junkie, I didn't have any courses, but if, if I was going to, one of the things, if I was going to not sell was add courses and do my own products and services where that would make sense to monetize through affiliate channels. In other words, I would have affiliates, you know, refer my site, refer my courses and sign up, have them sign up through affiliate link. And then they would get paid for me. Uh, but I didn't do that for Investor Junkie, where I'm actually, my next goal for my own personal brand, LarryLedwood.com, that's kind of where I'm going. Is the For my own courses, you know, I will be monetizing through affiliate channel. Uh, but it made sense, yeah, for if you have a business, it, you can do both avenues. Obviously, if you're a merchant, having your own affiliate channel is something you have to make sure you maintain and cultivate. But it can be done. It's a different, you know, I'm more referring to, at least from the average person, starting a business and having supplement your income through an affiliate channel where you then work with various merchants to supplement your core products and services. And now a, a step of a little bit deeper from that, if somebody's thinking about getting into uh, affiliate affiliate marketing as a brand owner, do you think they should try it on their own or or put their brand onto an existing platform like I don't know, Commission Junction or something? Yeah, um, it depends. Um, I mean, if you roll your own affiliate mar um, marketing, it can be good, but it's also can be hard to maintain hard. It, it, 
commission junction is expensive from everything I understand yeah. as far as the annual fees or monthly fees they charge. So maybe that's not the best suited when you're initially starting out, but I would not say, you know, get your IT department or have some programmer just develop some affiliate system. I, I, if anything, at minimum, use some commercial product like has offers or, um, cake is another one or there's other ones out yeah. there as well. So you use some system that does all the affiliate tracking for you. Uh, with that said, you could keep it in house then. So there's no monthly fees you have to worry about you know, through like a commission junction or impact, um, you know, or share or sale. Those are the popular three out there. Mm-hmm. So those, if you don't do it through a network, the advantages of a network is you instantly get an audience that would be interested in your possibly, you know, recommending and having links to your site. So it could be to your advantage. It depends on what your product offering is. If it's something that's more mass appeal, those networks can work out really well to your advantage. If it's something more of a niche, you might be better keeping it in house. Right. Now, when it comes to anybody that started working with the internet many years ago, it, it may just be me. I don't know if everybody thinks the same way, but automatically I start thinking, okay, he has to know SEO because back then that's all there that existed. <laughs> right. There was no Facebook paid traffic. No, uh, no, your, op- your options were much, much more limited, uh, in terms yeah. of getting traffic. Uh, in fact, Poppy Tyson created, uh, eventually branched off to his own company, DoubleClick. So we were creating some of the first ad banners and also ad network. And it was fascinating. Yeah, the, the options were just limited and you didn't really have much to market nowadays. You, you, the ironic part is you have much a plethora of networks to work with in terms of advertising and different channels and some are better than others depending on your, your niche. But they're also getting more expensive because people are realizing for Facebook as a great example, the cost per click is just increasing exponentially because more and more people are using it and they only have a limited supply of ads on their network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously Facebook has been constantly working to try to figure out what are the ways we can display ads in their, their system. And it's getting harder and harder. So, uh, but with that said, yeah, the, it was, SEO was much different than it is today. Uh, you were able to do things like repeat the same keyword a you know, hundred times at the footer of the page. And lo and behold, you'd be instantly ranked number one. Um, or, or decide to hide the text at that also and not show at the bottom. It would be in like the same color as the background. Yes. And therefore rank number one. And again, this is also pre-Google in some cases where AltaVista was all the rage or even Yahoo. So there were very basic search engines. They were not anywhere near, which, I mean, in my eyes, I consider now what we have is a more level playing field. If you have good content, you focus on the user experience, you wind up actually ranking pretty well. Where back then it was much easier to game Google or other search engines. And I think that was a bad thing. I think the, the quality of the, the search results have gotten dramatically better in the past 10 years alone. Um, even before, before that, it was much worse. It was much more the wild west in terms of, uh, you know, SEO and a lot of black hat stuff existed that even, even five years ago just, just disappeared, you know, almost overnight. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you, you mentioned the, the footer where we changed the color because immediately I started laughing because I, I did that. Yeah. Well. And I actually did, a, um, just this past weekend, I was speaking at an event and after we were at the after party, and I was telling somebody how, as a challenge, I did it, and I ended up ranking number one in Canada for the word bacon. No long tail, just bacon. And I was number one, and I never sold bacon, and I had nothing to do with bacon. I just did it to prove a point. And, uh, and that was, I mean, that was years ago, but, uh, I mean, I mean that was a, that's a similar incident. I don't remember at the episode, I think it was in late 2000s for George, when George Bush, Bush was in office. They did like a uh, miserable failure or something like that keyword and got us to rank number one, showed a picture of George Bush as the number one keyword. 
Um, similar issue. Like people obviously game the system. And there's still cases like that nowadays too, but it's much harder to, I mean, with the just constantly, I mean, Google, if anything, is increasing the updates to their algorithm. Like just at the time of this recording, we just had one last week. And it seems to be, and they're not minor updates. They're pretty major changes. So it's pretty, it's getting faster, not slower with Google, which I think partly you could argue they may be doing it on purpose just to ruffle the feathers of anyone who's in SEO and not to get them too comfortable in, and making sure that they keep them on their toes. But obviously their end goal for Google being a commercial company, you know, a, a public company is they want to maximize their profits. So therefore, I've always said that you should use SEO. SEO is still the number one way that people get traffic to your site from all the stats I've seen. But it's still, it's been decreasing over the past 10 years. If you look at any stat, you rank number one, it was at 1.38% open rate or click-through rate to your website. Now it's 31%. And Google's obviously keeping you more on their site, you know, either through the featured snippet showing the actual excerpt of yes. what you, you know, copy your content and show it in Google's search results so you don't have to go to your website or other means as well. So, it, or more ad banners are pushing you further down the fold. So in the end, your know, search should be also part of your strategy as well. You shouldn't be just doing SEO. Yeah, that's one of the things that it kind of sucks. It's where you have good content. Now Google can display your content without the person having to actually click on your site. So you don't get to retarget them. You don't get to, you don't get analytics from that. Is there a way around that? Can you tell Google? I mean, if you tell Google, don't show a snippet of my site, they're going to sure, show. I mean, there's an option to disable featured snippets. And I forget the actual short code or code tag you add to your, your HTML. Uh, but there is that option. But for the most part, I think you're losing out. You, you really have to create an open-ended loop. So really from a marketing copy angle, you have to develop copy. Like uh, I use FAQ snippet, which is a pretty new snippet that shows up below your, your actual SERP or your, your content. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it makes it, you have to answer some questions. But if you want to make it where you establish a brand and establish people to go, oh, they helped me in this thing. I'm going to go click on their website to really find out more details. So you don't really fully answer the questions, whatever it may be. And that's a, a, it's a fine line. You've got to make sure you, you increase the click-through rates to your site, to your point, than just answering everything on in Google search results and then you never see them again. And you, like you said, you can't remarket them or retarget them for anything because they never landed on your website. I mean, in the end, you've got to make sure Google or Facebook for that matter is you want to get them off those networks. You're only renting that traffic. Yeah. You know, you, you not, you do not own it. Even if you do you know, paid search, you're only renting that traffic. And people think SEO is permanent. It's not. It can, you know, what Google or Facebook give us, they can take us away. So, absolutely. So that means uh, because we cannot trust to, even if you have the number one SEO today, you may not have it tomorrow. That means you also depend heavily on paid traffic. I mean, you should rely on. I always do the multi-channel approach, and and really, not only that, not only for you shouldn't rely on one channel for your traffic. I mean, it's been said eight, six, to eight times before someone converts, they have to see yeah. your content. And in my opinion, I think it's even higher than that nowadays. And they have to gain your trust. And I've seen from my own data, from my own websites, you need to have multiple touch points before they finally convert. They have to trust what you have to say. So you want to gauge them at multiple levels, not just one time. So therefore, you need to have you know, things on social media. You need to have an emailing list. You need to have paid traffic. You need to do remarketing. You need to have a Facebook you know, group. You need to get them, you need to constantly remind the audience that you're trying to attract that here I am and here's what I have to offer. And also educate them in the process, not just purely you know, push them for a hard sell. You need to really add value in the process. So it's purely not just saying, you know, buy my stuff. It's got to be about, okay, here's, here's what, you know, we have to offer. Here's what we're, we're offering for free. Here's the other stuff we can get without having to pay for 
the said service, whatever that may be. So you've got to add value in different ways. I mean, to me, a lot of people think of copy, you know, content is the ultimate for SEO. And I think that's a mistake. I think you're really, everyone can easily copy that same content. You know, they, it's been a, a arms race, if you will. People add, okay, I'm going to do 5,000 words. I'll do 5,000 or 6,000 words to up the game compared to what's out, what's out there. And I think that's a mistake. I think first and foremost, you should be better on your quality of your content. But also think of what other ways you can add value than just purely content. And I think that's via apps and services, you know, ways to interact or engage. You know, on Investor Junkie, I had, you know, comparison tools. I had the ability to rank content or rank the various services different ways. So we made it much more engaged and interactive than just purely, here's a list of various reviews, you know, go figure it out. My goal was to make sure the person did comparisons and ultimately provide or signed up for the said service that made sense best for them. Yeah. So Larry. Everything that we know when it comes to any type of business uh, is changing very quickly. But it, when it comes to the online world, of course, it's like probably 10 times faster. Uh, I remember not too long ago, it's like it was yesterday, every website was built for a 15 inch screen. So somebody <laughs> before that, for my case, we, <laughs> yeah, had, so we had we had 250 colors and you had to dither the colors to get multicolor past that and you had to deal with dial-up modems at 56k. <laughs> but the ironic thing is we're kind of back to that again with mobile, which is what's yeah. old is what's new again. So uh, unfortunately, we still see some of those some of those websites are still alive today. Yes, uh, not even adjusting to mobile, which is incredible. Yep. <laughs> but what do you, what else did you notice that are some of the big changes that are happening? Um, in terms of uh, SEO, or what are you referring to? What do you uh, tell me? Doing online online businesses. Um, well, like I mentioned, I think multiple touch points is definitely a factor. I think you even more so have to. I definitely found it fascinating where we noted on Investor Junkie. I I expected people to sign up to one channel, mailing list, social media, what have you, you know, push notifications. But in fact, I found the same person would sign up via multiple channels. Like they wanted to make sure they didn't miss that content or engage in that content. You know, like they, if they missed it through the email that we sent them, they would see it through a push notification two days later. So instead of sending out the same notice or message all at once, you would purposely stagger it because people engaged at maybe different points in time during the day or different days. In fact, so you kind of make sure you, you don't hit them up that first time. Don't, you know, don't do a broadcast all the different mediums you work with. You know, kind of stagger it on purpose. And I think that's one thing I found fascinating that I kind of never expected. Is the the way people engage? They they actually subscribe to your your content. They like what they have to, you have to say. They'll engage and touch various different mediums with your content. You've got to definitely discuss and hit them up at various points along the way. And it doesn't hurt to repeat yourself either. You know, I think that's a common issue business owners get scared of. Is you know I already said this in on my my um, email. You know, why am I doing a YouTube with the same thing? Well, people don't you know people digest that content differently. So don't be afraid to repeat yourself because honestly. The medium is sometimes the message. You've got to hit them up on that other channel. And how about content changes? Uh, I mean, stuff that, for example, everybody knows that one of my main platforms right now is owned by somebody else, and it's Amazon.com, right, or uh, as as e-commerce. And I teach a lot of people on how to sell on Amazon, what to do, and how to grow the business there. But I can say something today that tomorrow Amazon changes the rules, right? They put in their terms of service. For example, now uh, you cannot request reviews in exchange for a product, right? Yep, yep. So I have to go back and change my content because now I could be hurting people that 
are reading old content or even listening to a podcast that is two years old. Uh, now, when I, when I do those changes, years ago, we could actually be affected negatively. Now, while I thought we're helping people, so is Google now, do their algorithms benefit you if you're keeping your, keeping your content up to date by changing? Without, I mean, one of the things that really helped me on Investor County was the freshness, they call it, you know, keeping that content current. And I mean, YouTube's algorithm sort of the same way and Facebook to a degree as well. I and mean, Facebook, you really don't have SEO, but you keeping content fresh and keeping people engaged is part of the algorithm. On top of the, you know, I wanted to make sure for our audience, again, it increases the engagement. You want to get people to come back and realize, Hey, this website has the authority in this topic because of, I just heard in the news press today that, um, a review on betterment that we did we just added a new functionality and they already have it in the review. Like, lo and behold, they match up. You don't want to have something where, to the reader, you see, they've read some other news source that this feature or product is there, but yet your review doesn't even discuss it. And I, I think it hurts the user experience. So I had to constantly make sure we update our content and be current. I try to make it almost the same day, in fact, where, you know, I want to make sure people would search that, search that keyword and get to our site and realize that, had, hey, they were most up to date on our content, especially things like, you know, bank CD rates or savings accounts. You want to make sure they have the most current you know, rates for those products, where if it's even a few days old, and they go to click that affiliate link, or not affiliate link for that matter, it, you don't, it looks really bad on your part that you show a rank of 2% on their website, they decreased it a few days ago, it's now, you know, 1.7%. You know, they, it, it hurts the trust. And part of the issue with SEO is the EAT factor. That's one of the big issues with Google, is making sure you have this established, called expertise, authority, and trust. And part of it is that trust factor, especially and the niche I was in, personal finance, it's what's called your money or your life. And Google really, on a really a microscope, looks at your content and making sure what little things you're doing to establish better trust. And so simple things like having a place to contact you, having an email address on your website, having a, an actual physical address, you know, all those things are important factors. So those things, if you ignore them, can actually hurt your SEO uh, chances to rank for content. Absolutely. Actually, you read uh, not too long ago, uh, talking about content that had been updated and this was an update and the stats of how many people that go to a e-commerce website that check the about us page. And there's still people today that do not have about us page on their sites. Yeah. But if I, I can't, I don't want to be mistaken now, but I thought it was like 28% of the people that, that convert have checked the about us page. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't know for, it depends on the niche too. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, when I first started out, the, a lot of the gurus in our space would say, you ha on, have a picture of yourself, a bio on the right hand side of the nav bar and, you know, discuss your, your bio. And I had that originally on Investor Junkie. And it, from the stats that I showed, because I use things like Crazy Egg to show what people are doing on engaging on the page and what's important. No one was clicking on it. No one cared in my case. So I took it off. Actually, I put the about, I did have an about page for people that did care. But I made it a little harder to find because that was valuable resource, you know, space that I could put other stuff there. And it made more sense to put like a table of content, for example, in that area instead. And it depends. It really depends. I mean, in the end, I always let the data for SEO or otherwise, you know, let the people tell me what's important to them and let me get the feedback and figure out, okay, I need to change this because it's just not effective. You know, be it a picture, a link, a text, what have you. You got to make sure you ultimately are improving your content over time. And Google, for SEO purposes, will reward you if they better engage in that content. And you also mentioned earlier about 
the engaging engagement with content that for longest time there was another trick that would be uh, the negative content uh, because people often engage with things that they know are wrong. Yeah. If you type in something like, for example, oh, SEO is dead, right? That was one of the, everybody <laughs> wanted to have a, a title like that. Yep. And if you go, for example, on social media and you type in three plus three is seven, you're going to have a lot of comments that are going to, you know, uh, for lack of better words, call you stupid and that is wrong. Uh, do, do well, you, I mean, sort of related to the stuff of fake news that's been in the news the past few years. I mean, Google and, and Facebook, for that matter, are really concerned with making sure you give out accurate results and making sure certain sites are promoted and certain aren't. I mean, there have been a, a few controversies in the medical field, in fact, for search results that I've seen. There's one site that I really like called examine, examine.com that's had a huge nosedive in SEO rankings in the past few years. And it, it's all backed up with medical information, you know, it does stuff with supplements that are not tr- considered traditional by medical societies. But they're, they're stuff like creating, you know, things that work for performance for working out that will help you better perform. And it's backed up with all research and medical information, research uh, studies. So it's not purely just saying this is the best thing to do and, you know, and have an affiliate link to whatever. In fact, it's the opposite. It's much more, but yet their content has been decreasing in ranking. Because of it's outside of the realm of what they, Google considers accepted medical information. Yeah. So by that very nature, Google's decreasing their rankings and just putting promoting sites like WebMD higher. Rightly or wrongly, that's kind of their their take on the whole matter, and that's something you have to be concerned with as well from an SEO strategy. Again, going back to you're only renting that traffic. So relying in the case of Examine.com, they figured out okay, we can't rely on Google for traffic anymore. We got to do alternative means and get people to our site. And same thing with, I've seen a few other businesses that relied on, let's say, I don't know, Instagram or, or Pinterest traffic. And, you know, overnight, literally their business goes out of business because you relied 100% on that traffic and only that traffic. So you have to keep, as a business owner, you have to look at a whole, you know, assessment of risk and where's your liability. You know, I had an issue. Obviously, one of the things that we could talk about is one of my failures or, or issues with uh, my website was I was hit what's called a negative SEO for investor junkie about Two years before I sold and affected my ranking in, in traffic. I lost about 20 to 30% of my traffic. Mm-hmm. And while not completely detrimental, it really got me to not only understand how SEO works better, but it also made me realize I can't rely on just one traffic source. I have to go back and how to diversify and how to get other means to my website. If, if SEO was to literally die overnight, you know, what, what would be my alternative means? How can I get other people to my website? And that's kind of where I grew out of. Um, figuring out it's, I can't rely on just Google. Yeah, you got to rely a little bit on Bing as well. <laughs> well, you laugh, I mean, live Bing is for some audiences can be a huge. It's, I've seen people say, you know, for, for paid traffic, Bing is horrible. Don't use Bing. And I'm like, depends on really your audience. I actually had great success with Bing. Uh, Bing, Bing ads now Microsoft ads. Yeah. And it works great for my means because it was less people competing in that, that space. It works exactly like Google ads. And I tried the same ads I had in, in Google Ads, and it worked great for me. I, you know, I had great success, but it depends on your audience. If you're, say, targeting millennials, it may not be a good fit, where it seems to be more uh, leaning towards older uh, generations than, say, Google or Facebook. For that. Well, even Facebook is becoming more older. But they're, they're dep- you have to understand your audience, and you have to look at the network that you're working with, and does it make sense? Does it do they line up? If they don't line up, you're, you're kind of wasting your time, maybe. Absolutely. Uh, and actually, the... the to go to your point about being advertising, of course, I was saying that as a joke because not, not many people use the Bing browser, but 
in 2014, 15, around there, uh, I got a call from, from Microsoft to see if I wanted to do a one hour training, uh, with somebody from Bing. And anyway, we jumped on the call, it ended up being so cool that we did, uh, we did it on an ongoing basis. And I ended up being trained by being on what they wanted to gain a new customer for ads. And it did work out very good. I mean, not when it comes to the number of impressions or anything like that, of course, yeah. but the price of it, uh, because my competitors were not there. Exactly. If you have, it's when you're dealing with marketplaces, there's the supply and demand and, and you have to understand if they're, if they're in this case, there's a huge supply of ads. There's just not a huge demand for people to place ads in, yeah. in Bing's network. So therefore you did very well because the cost per click was very low. Uh, so the same ad that, you know, would cost maybe, I don't know, let's say $1.50 per click in Google would cost 50 cents in Bing. You know, that was a no brainer. And it's the same exactly. click through rate, same conversion rates. So it made sense to just use the same, do the same ads and the heart, it was a higher ROI in the end. Yeah, exactly. It. So the only difference, like I said, was the number of impressions and my cost. Mm-hmm. So the- <laughs> exactly. It's, but it's no, people, you know, you got to try these things out. I think in the end, with anything with marketing online, is you have to constantly invent yourself, reinvent yourself, and constantly test things. You can't. You have to. I mean, some of it should be based on some of your experience and assumptions. But in the end, you have to let the data tell you what's the right answer and try stuff out. Just literally try new ideas. Try. And if anything, it's a common issue with most business owners. You you stick into what other people are doing in your same niche. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's doing internet market or emails. I have to do the same thing. Well, why don't you try other different channels? Why don't you try a YouTube channel if everyone's doing email and see what happens? You try other, look at other verticals, other niches out there and see what they're doing in their spaces and try it out and see if it works. I mean, what do you have to lose? I mean, really, in the end, you have a huge opportunity that no one else is, you know, trying out. Exactly. Lack of testing is something that, that I see too many people that are doing or not doing. I can hear some, let's say, Neil Patel saying he's doing great with LinkedIn advertising. Yep. It, it may work for him and it may not work if you are in the e-commerce space, right? If you, if you are not selling B2B, you don't need to go LinkedIn, right? Just because for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for us. So well, I mean, yeah, the great example for I had for investor junkie and a few other uh, sites or people recommended this to me is like Pinterest. And I'm like, it's a heavily, uh, woman dominated audience and very, very visual. It doesn't work really well. The visual part. For my, my type of stuff that was dealing with investment products and services. So much more, you know, detailed based, fact based that like an audience like Facebook may work better for or Google ads. And so I, I tried out Pinterest a little bit, but I, I did, I got horrible results. It just didn't match up, align with my audience. So why, you know, you have to understand that stuff. And in some cases it may, you should try it out anyways. But in the end, your, your point being that, yeah, people usually don't, they'll, they'll take some gurus, you know, wisdoms, if you will. And use them and think it's that's gotta work for my you know, niche. And in fact, it might be a very specific case for them. So for Neil Patel, it may work great for whatever he's offering, but for you, it may fail miserably because of your e-commerce site for, you know, let's say, I don't know, selling, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good example, selling something that just, you know, has nothing to do with business to business. It's not perfect for that audience. So you gotta make sure you develop, you gotta try different channels, but make sure you hit the right demographic. Absolutely. I can't go sell baby diapers on LinkedIn. Yeah. That's a good example. Yeah. Baby diapers would be horrible on LinkedIn. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> of course, everybody on LinkedIn at one point is or will be parents, but, uh, probably at the time, if they're on maternity leave, they're not on LinkedIn. <laughs> but they're not expecting it. I mean, a better example would be Pinterest as an example. Um, I mean, or Facebook for that matter. I, I think 
areas where you have more community involvement would be perfect for selling diapers as opposed to LinkedIn. You're expecting to see people discuss business, you know, more corporate stuff, more business to business than consumer to business. Absolutely. So, Larry, what's uh, what are the plans for now? What do you have up your sleeve? Um, so at the time of this recording, I just started a um, course I'm doing. Uh, it's on actually helping people uh, scale up their business, their blogs, you know, overall a coaching program that I'm doing live. And doing that currently at the moment, uh, as we record this, not second, of course, but I'm doing it live and having it it's a six week session. So currently it's closed to new members, but I plan on having that probably open up again after a few weeks, uh, after I finish this one. And then I've been really focusing on more courses and just helping others through consultation. I think, you know, I think my opportunities right now, now that I sold my business is just helping others better monetize their, their sites. I've seen too many people both in my direct space, but other verticals that just be it affiliate marketing or otherwise. You know, I, I, in the end, I treated affiliate marketing as if it was my own product and service in the sense of the tracking I had, the level of tracking, the level of detail monitoring the traffic was just far on the best out there and had details that just blew away what else the competition had. So the same thing applies to if you had your own product or service. I see too many people not knowing, you know, well, where's the source of the traffic? What's converting better? What, you know, what paid traffic, especially if you're doing paid traffic mm-hmm. is converting better. Most people just shrug and don't know, you know, so to me, that's a critical part of your business is monitoring your traffic and finding out what's working, what's not, both in terms of on page, your data, but also your source of your traffic. You know, is, is your Bing ad working better than Google? Going back to what we were just discussing, uh, you know, in some cases you'll be surprised. Yeah. It doesn't mean that even if Bing is cheaper, it doesn't mean that I have to stop doing Google if I want the volume there. Sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta lose a cent if you want to get another sale. Exactly. So Larry, where can everybody find you if they want to get a hold of you? Um, you can go to, you can go to my site, LarryLudwood.com. I also have a, um, sign up. You can get my free ebook or a free little brochure pamphlet, if you will, on affiliate marketing. The, the five, I think it's the five mistakes. I forget how many mistakes it is. I think the five mistakes affiliate marketers do. So if you go to LarryLudwood.com slash podcast, uh, but if you can just go to LarryLudwood.com, you can also check out and sign up and find out my other ways to, uh, the various social media channels as well. Awesome. Larry, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you.